Today, we're really excited to have Anne-Marie Anderson, three-time award-winning broadcaster, keynote speaker, and MC. Over the course of her television career, she has covered six Olympic Games, NBA, and Major League Baseball playoffs, the Super Bowl, golf majors, heavyweight fights, and professional sports leagues around the world. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Thank you. It looks like you've been on Wiki. <laughs> okay. Got the notes from the girls. Yeah. We're so happy to have you on here because um, not just because of your established resume, but I just feel like you've made such a name for women in sports broadcasting too. And so I, I would love to kind of just hear the initial story of how you even got into it and like what interested you from the start and more or less kind of what inspired you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here yeah. and just talk with you guys. So the thing about sports broadcasting, when I look back now, I'm really doing a combination of the two things I loved the most as a child, right? I loved sports and my four older brothers would tell you that I was a world-class tattletale. So like sports reporting, like makes perfect sense now. That's all I did. And because I had those four older brothers, we just watched sports growing up and there's stuff that I would find you know, when my early days producing ESPN in the back of my head that I didn't even know I had, like, I'd be like, the Broncos won in 1977. Their defense was called the Orange Crush. Oh my God, where'd that come from? Uh, <laughs> kind of thing. So uh, I always knew what I wanted to do in terms of be a journalist. I did not want to go into news. It was too depressing. And I didn't want to go into entertainment because I didn't have to want to have to worry about what I look like or my weight or any of that stuff. Like I want a little more substance. So I got lucky enough to get an interview at ESPN uh, shortly out of college. Somebody came and talked to our school and they, he said they hire like these six month at that time, six month temporary production assistants. And uh, so you could just get your feet wet a little bit, like no medical benefits, six days a week, barely any money. But I was like, perfect. Uh, so I went up to Connecticut I borrowed a car, <laughs> I had nothing, interviewed for the job. And when I sat down uh, with this man named Al Jaffe, he asked me, um, can you like analyze the Mariners bullpen for me? And I was like, uh, no, I, I cannot in any way. And he's like, well, do you know anybody in the Mariners? And I was like, no, I, I don't. I never really like recovered from that question. It shocked me so much uh, that I didn't get the job. He said, thanks very much for coming, but you're not what we're looking for. And I was like, drove back, returned the car. And then I just thought, no, like, no, no. Plus, I did not want to go home and live with my parents. So there was no plan B. Whenever I talk to people, I talk about plan A. If you've got a plan B, do that. It's easier, for sure, always. So, but I just have literally never had one. So I wrote him a letter. Back in those days, we wrote with a pen and paper. <laughs> and um, I licked a stamp. As unsanitary as that seems now, I like licked a stamp and put it on there. And uh, I sent it to him and I said, thanks so much for your time. Unfortunately, I don't feel it showcased my strengths very often. You have probably a million guys who can spit out those stats. But I've already worked in television because in college we used to run our studio out and I would do all those things. And so I can bring something different, some kind of like really nerdy letter. And then, because what do I have to lose, right? I'm 21. Like I, I look, I read that now and I'm like, oh God, I kept it. Um, but the last line said, uh, and if I needed to do a story on the Mariners bullpen, I'd look it up and thanks. And he called me and hired me and, uh, it wow. took off from there. Yeah. It goes to show that just kind of like really sticking your name out there, putting yourself out there is, is going to, you know, 
you're going to reap benefits from that. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. As I look back, that's kind of been the key to my whole career. Um, it's, it's what I call audacity, right? Willingness to take like really bold risks. And uh, that's what I talk about a lot. And so I did that again and again and again in my career. And I still do it. It always works out. Honestly, always. Do you think your brothers had an influence on this? Because you said you had four brothers. Uh-huh. So where did you kind of learn that bold boldness? So that's something I'm trying to explore right now as I share it with other people. It is not my brothers, um, though they want to claim every bit of success that I've had. And they were really mad when I changed my name when I got married. They were like, wow, you're on ESPN doing college football. Now nobody knows. It's, I was like, it's not about you. Um, I think it comes maybe from being the youngest. I've actually, Kelly, really kind of explored this a bunch and trying to think about it. And I'll get like super deep, like right away on you. But uh, I'm recently divorced and my ex-husband and I are good friends. And but I was thinking about like, why did it take me so long to get divorced? A friend pointed this out to me when I could change my job all the time because I changed it, you know, as a production assistant, associate producer, college football. I just kept changing it. And a good friend asked me, like, why did you have no fear about changing that constantly and yet about your marriage you like you just kept going even when you knew you both knew that it wasn't the right thing and what I recently have come to realize is I was so attached to the outcome of the marriage as you should be right I'm like I don't want to fail we can do this we're going to work it out and this and that even though we knew we'd be better like this as friends and really close co-parents so then I looked back at the career stuff and I was like I was never attached to the outcome I would always, like when I moved, I was in Connecticut and then I wanted to be LA bureau producer. And my boss said no. And I said, he said, we already have somebody in LA. And I said, I know, that's what makes this so awkward. And um, <laughs> he's like, I tell you what, wait two years. And I was 26 at the time. And if we haven't made you LA bureau producer by then, what have you really lost? And I said, two years in my 20s. And I'm going to give my notice. And he was like, oh, you're so impatient. I'm like, totally. Yes, I agree. And I moved cross country here to Manhattan Beach. And when I arrived, first of all, it was Surf Fest. And I thought it was like that all the time here. It was Surf Fest weekend. I was freaking out like, oh, my God, it's volleyball heaven. Um, but when I arrived here, I got hired back in what ended up being double the salary. Wow. Yeah. And so, again, it's another audacious decision or risk. Well, I mean, th- I mean, and now you've been out here, you've like, I mean, you just said that you did a bunch of other things like production too. And yeah, when I started ESPN, I was a production assistant, right? Yeah. Six days a week, six at night to three in the morning, Mondays off, you know, that kind of thing for $15,000 a year. Like where you go on a date and you eat half your meal and you home the other half <laughs> so you can eat the next day and Real prepping at its finest yeah exactly um and so then I was an associate producer a feature producer there I, I won a few Emmys there and uh that was all for behind the scenes work and then I came out to LA to be a bureau producer which was the best job in the world it's like being Forrest Gump like wherever the big story is that's where you go and whether it's the O.J. Simpson trial or, you know, the Olympic Games or whatever, golf's majors, it was unbelievable job. So fun and worked with great people and was in that until I decided I wanted to go on air. And then it was just more audacious risks. What was your first time on air like? What was that experience like? 
So my first time on air was college football. And here's the deal. I got hired to do, so I've already worked for ESPN for 10 years, but I wanted to go on air and I didn't know how to do that. And so I sent my resume to like this regional part of ESPN and I didn't know that everything was so closely connected. So when I sent it, this guy was like, oh, I'd like to hire her. He sends it to his boss. That his boss and I were partners in a wedding like a month before. And he was like, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I didn't know this is what you do. And he's like, I didn't know that's what you wanted to do. You know, we had known each other. And so um, they hired me for regional football. And then uh, one of the women in the business, a coworker, got pregnant and she was going to be missing these games. And let me tell you, all that stuff about like women competing, it's all crap. I, I have the best women friends in this business and we look out for each other. So she called me and she was like, listen, I'm about to back out of these games. Give them a call in five minutes and everything. And so I called like five minutes later. Hey, you know, I'm available if you guys have anything else. Oh my God. Yes, actually we do. We just have like these six games on ESPN two for you. So before I'd ever been on air, my games were now going to be on ESPN two and not on this regional wow. thing. I was freaking out, like freaking out. I wouldn't tell anybody. Uh, my husband made me tell my father. Cause he's like, you have to tell you. I was like, okay, but I'm not telling my brothers. I'm not telling anybody else. You know, this is not going to be good. I'm crying outside the stadium beforehand to my husband. And he was like, what is the worst that could happen? Like, you've got to calm down. <laughs> this is why I love him. Like, he's really like, you know, and, uh, I said, I, I could be so bad at this that no one will ever take my direction producing again. Cause I produced, you know, for Chris Berman or Robin Roberts. And I was like, they will know how bad I am at their job and they'll never take my direction again. And I'll lose my entire career. And he's like, wow, like you really went there. Thought <laughs> of the worst <laughs> on that. And uh, so I was just a mess. I went on and you know what? I was terrible because you're going to be terrible your first time on. But I went on again and again. And again, and eventually got better. Yeah, yeah, practice makes perfect. Well, definitely not perfect. Yeah, well, <laughs> but um, what? It, so I'm curious what the landscape looked like when you were first, you know, in ESPN the first ten years to what it looks like now as far as women are concerned. Because obviously, you said you know, like you had a good support system. You guys all looked out for each other. Right. But I'm curious to see like what it was like then versus it is now. Oh, great question because it has changed so much. I think there were somewhere around seven women in all of Sports Center when I came in. Most of us are still really closely in touch today. One is a stud NFL producer. Like we're we're all pretty tight. Um, and in those days, there was a lot of sexism. Not that there isn't now, but it was like very overt. Uh, they would have on the monitors in the newsroom at night porn. Oh wow, playing. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so it would come down to like, you know, Amory, I'm going to need some Magic Johnson sound at three o'clock. What do you think? Is that going to happen? Sexual thing before they reach 80 points. Like it was bad. We had a new boss come in and change that. Thank goodness. Uh, the year after I got there, but it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. Obviously none of that would fly now. Uh, there's a lot of women. More of them are getting to positions of power, which is really important. Uh, Stephanie Drulli is a, a, a huge presence at the network in charge of the NFL. She and I were PAs together back when there were only seven of us, and she's such a stud, and we're all super proud of her. So now 
many more women in many more positions. Um, and then in many different roles, right? I mean, if you want to be in front of the camera, then you were a sideline reporter. You weren't a play-by-play announcer, you know? And that's, you know, one of the things that I and some other colleagues of mine pushed for. Yeah, we had Cameron Irwin on a, uh, not too long ago, mm-hmm. and she talked about her first play-by-play experience, too, and how now she's doing that, which is so great to see, you know, just so many more women mm-hmm. doing that. Um, what about from, like, a diversity standpoint, too? Because I think that's, like you know, obviously super apparent and important now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always been important, but, you know, I feel like the landscape has changed a little bit there too. Right. Are you talking, well, in in every way, right? Yes. Yeah. Diversity everywhere. In in every way. So again, when I started ESPN, it was 1989. And it was all those things that you think, not very diverse. Um, I was talking to one of my friends who I was a PA with, and he pointed out, did you realize I was the only black man in the newsroom? And I was like, oh, other than John Saunders, who was on the air. But it just, I, I, I never really noticed that. But he was like, oh, yeah, it was weird. Um, and then certainly in terms of sexuality, uh, nobody talked about it at all. So I, I don't even know if any of my colleagues or which of my colleagues then were gay, you know, bisexual, trans, whatever, because you just did not talk about that. And uh, all of that has opened up. Still a really long way to go. But if you look at women in broadcasting now, you're seeing women anchor shows. You're seeing women of color anchor shows, all kinds of things. I think the next big thing is disabled. I think we haven't gotten to any part where disabled people are getting those roles. Um, So we've made some strides, but I think there's a lot to go. Yeah, always room for improvement, I would Mm say. Um, What about, like, let's get a little fun with this. What's your favorite sport to cover? I don't have one. You don't? I don't. Everybody asks, people around here swear that it's volleyball. You know, I know you liked volleyball the best. You can tell me. I don't because here's the deal. Well, first of all, I can't do anything anymore. I I played volleyball, but I can't do anything at a high level anymore except broadcast, hopefully. And so I love seeing people compete at their best. And I like if I'm if I'm doing softball, I love the atmosphere outside and basketball. I love the speed and I love everybody bumping up against each other. I couldn't do that because if somebody touched me, I punched them back and I fouled out of every game I ever played in. But I respect what they're doing. And I'm like, oh, look at the emotional control they have. Um, and then volleyball, the same thing, water polo. So I really love whatever I'm in. What sport do you want to do that you haven't covered yet? The next one that has a lot of work. Um, I don't know. I turned down pickleball recently just because I was too booked, but I think that's going to explode. Um, and I turned them that like four times. I was overbooked, but I would have, I would like that one because it's going to be huge. How do you uh, mentally prepare for all of these different disciplines of sport? Um. I don't know if I mentally prepare for it. I Do you physically prepare? I was going to say physically I, yeah. I prepare for it. Um, so first of all, ideally with a high level network, you've got a partner with you who's an analyst, right? So in this case, right, if I'm calling a volleyball match, I would have one of these two as my partner. And then it is about knowing the questions to ask. Because what I tell people, and I, I run workshops, as Kelly knows, I think, for uh, aspiring broadcasters and stuff. But what I tell people is the play-by-play's job is to set up the analyst. I'm not the star of the show. I shouldn't be, and I don't want to be. I want to set her up 
to show what she knows. And what's really fun for me is when, for water polo, for example, I don't know as much about water polo as I do some of the other sports. So I called a friend of mine who is Tony Azevedo. He's a five-time water polo Olympian, most decorated person. He also, I wrote an article on him for ESPN, the magazine, because I did all that too when he was like 19. And he happens to coach my son. (laughs) So I called him and I was like, hey, do you want to be on television? Whatever. And he's like, oh, I'd like to try it out. What's really fun is that we're there. I said, are you nervous before he went on? He's like, very. And I said, cool, that you should be right? Because you haven't done television before. Here's the thing. I haven't done water polo before. So I got a little nerves too. Between us, we make a whole person. And then as we're calling the game, I'm learning at the same time, right? Because I'm asking questions. And then Tony, I remember at one point said, they're going to put that ball through set over here and then swing it around. And he's going to score probably a skip shot. Under, And 14 seconds later, that's what happened. And I was like, dude, like, if you knew that 14 seconds ago, why did they not stop that? And he's like, because I played in five Olympics. And there it is. But, like, I'm learning with the audience for some of those sports. Yeah. Are there any other instances where you've had, you know, like a top-tier athlete that's played the sport that you've been able to kind of learn from as well? Like others, others I think sp- I do always. Always, yeah. I think I do always. Yeah. Uh, my softball partners uh, are Olympians. Mm-hmm as well uh, that I do. I partner a lot with Holly McPeak on beach volleyball uh, and indoor volleyball. And, you know, who's going to be better to talk about, uh, talk about it than that. Every, everybody I learned from, it's a bummer for me if I get somebody who doesn't know the sport as well as I do, like that shouldn't happen. The analyst needs to be knowledgeable in their sport. I can help with the TV part, but you got to know the sport. What about like advice for preparation on your own? Because obviously I know you probably, like if you were doing pickleball or water polo, these sports that you maybe haven't done, um, mm-hmm. like what's your preparation look like? First of all, watch it. Yeah. A lot of it. Watch it. Listen to the terminology that people use. You can tell. I mean, you guys can tell when somebody is doing a, a volleyball match and they don't know the sport. You know, they'll they'll say things like spike. I, I You know, but like... Uh, I know. Well, no, it's okay. We say that, but like, you don't hear that very much. Totally. Yeah. God forbid they say bump. You're like, get out, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Hit the road. Kelly. Yeah. Wow, you're, you're fired. Me. Exactly. But you know what I'm saying? Bump, like, set, spike it. That's the yeah. way we like it. Yeah, I mean, just, <laughs> except Kelly. Like maybe you look her up and then we're like, Subject? okay, she actually knows the sport. I provide the entertainment sometimes. I don't know why she's talking like that, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> comedy <laughs> that's funny yeah well it's all you know i mean preparation is good i know um just like as athletes too it's like we study opponents we're going to play and mm-hmm. um i'm sure you probably could provide good scouting reports on teams too yep <laughs> yep i always love going if the coach will let me into film whether it's basketball softball or indoor volleyball and i go into film and i'm just in the back listening to what the coach is trying to tell her or his team and then I call the match and they don't do it. It's amazing. It's so fun because I'll be like, man, we just talked about this in <laughs> film last night and there they are not doing it. You know, and like you make eye contact with the coach. coach I don't know. You, you know, across the way. What do you enjoy most about the preparation process to like broadcast a sporting event? Is it like being in practice, sitting in film, getting to know the team or is it actually producing? Interesting. Um, 
So I'm a social person. And since I moved to Manhattan Beach in 1994, that's when I made that move with ESPN, I haven't gone to an office since then, ever. Wow. Yeah. And so that's my office. So I just really like interacting um, with people. And I love, I love the coach calls because when I talk to the coach, I get an idea of what should be happening, you know, and I usually ask some version of that question, like what should be happening. And then I can tell if it's going to happen, if it's not happening. And then I, I really enjoy seeing the moves, the adjustments that are made, whether it's a player making an adjustment or a coach making an adjustment to the game plan. On those calls with the coaches, have your questions always been the same or are you constantly like changing up the tactics as far as like asking questions to the coaches? Right. Great question. And that's another thing, right, that's in that workshop is like you have to do all these steps before you get there in terms of, you know, you, I always tell people like if you get on a call with a coach and say, tell me about your team. Do not tell them you've taken my workshop because I'll kill you because you have to do all these things first and have a really good idea of tendencies and stats and what you're seeing. And then um, I will always end with the same question. Is there anything I haven't asked you about or any storylines that you feel like I'm missing? Right. People tend to really like that. And once in a while you'll get a nugget. The questions always change. Um, the first and the last are always the same. The first question is always, Anybody on your roster injured, redshirting, or otherwise unavailable? Because I want to get them off the list. And if you don't ask that question, their star point guard could be out. But they're not going to tell you unless you ask it. You missed a scoop then. No. You heard it here first. There you go. (laughs) What about um, the social media? Like social media landscape has obviously changed. Sports, (laughs) broadcasting, you know, everything. And so how has that affected your approach? So first of all, I'm so glad that there was no social media when I started at ESPN because nobody cared what I looked like or, you know, how clever it was just about the work that I put in. And I think that's just an added pressure, uh, especially for women in sports broadcasting. Now, I don't know who made the rules. I know who made the rules. Men made the rules in terms of what female sportscasters are supposed to look like. Right. That's another hurdle that we're working towards why does it matter i mean if you have you seen the guys uh, like come on uh especially like when they're my age come on you know <laughs> so i agree yeah i don't know who's making those rules so i'm glad that that was not a part of things i am on instagram i'm really getting off of twitter right like what's the point anyway yeah it's like no more yeah i just took them off my website um but Instagram, I'll do threads. I know. Okay, I'll do that stuff um, because I have to, right? But it it is a great way for somebody who is building their career to kind of get a following. And that does matter to the networks. You know what I mean? Like I don't have a big following, but I've got a big resume. So it kind of balances out. It's unfortunate because it's like same with us as athletes, right? Like I want to just go out on the court and perform and be my best. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to worry about making this post for this sponsor. But like at the same time, you know, we still do. And we have to, it's like the number that you have on Instagram is very dependent upon what you can ask from sponsors. That's right. Compensation. Exactly. And so, yeah, so it's, I mean, granted, like I, I love my sponsors and I'm happy to promote them and right. it, the way, you know, like when I rep them, when I play and stuff, but yeah, it's just like, 
it's an added thing that we have to worry about that's not really it's a necessary evil you know? right that's the way i like to and how do you get it. big numbers right showing your body uh saying controversial things you know those kinds of things so now maybe you're outside of being authentic that like that's the thing that bothers me about it is maybe you're not that woman who would in her personal life be showing her body and this and that but now you are and then what happens when that fades like that's the, that for sports broadcasters different from athletes that's what worries me a lot about the ones who are showing so much of a physical attribute side it's it's going to go away it is and what what are you left with there in terms of the core yeah maybe i should start posting myself in not bikini you know no you're a player yeah know, exactly I know. I know but yeah it's it's really tough and it mm -hmm. sucks that men did make it this way that we need to i don't know yeah it's all <laughs> no we can change the rules yeah we're changing yeah, yeah I, I was gonna ask like how how do you make yourself uh, marketable online as a sports broadcaster you know because if it's there's this physical side of it sure but then like vocally there's such a fine line with what the audience wants to hear versus your personal opinion do you cross that line do you go well i'm going to provide my personal opinion and also share what i think the audience wants to hear no because i'm a play-by-play -play announcer right so i'm calling the action so as a play-by-play -play, i'm calling what's happening yeah right and then the analyst would talk about how and why so that's a time to put in the opinions and it comes from the analyst what i think they need to do here is this and that and the other thing occasionally especially in a sport like volleyball that i know very very well having played um, i'll have a discussion with an analyst and ask well what about if the right back defender moves over because they're getting beaten at side and what do you what do you think about that or you know we'll have a discussion about that but my own personal opinions pull the setter no i don't i think it but I don't share Can't it. Say it. Yeah. What, what about online on, on uh, Instagram or Twitter or threads or something? No, because again, if I did, that'd be great. Right. Cause that would be controversial and yeah. build that following. I don't care about my following. <laughs> like at this point, yeah. I love to have conversations, but the numbers, I think my kids would be horrified if I, can you imagine <laughs> like, just unfiltered myself? Raw. Oh, well, unfiltered and raw. Like I'm going to get there someday, <laughs> but not working for anybody like when i i don't know if i'm ever going to retire but if i do then i'm going to tell you what i think <laughs> yeah i'll let it fly yeah what about when um you did start to have a family because obviously yeah. was was were they supportive of that like how was that um whole process for you like because i know it's tough being a woman in this industry too you probably wanted to put yourself first in a lot of situations with your career but then yet you, you know you have a you have three kids right like right you know how was that because I know I'm assuming it was hard. Rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were they supportive? You mean work or my family? My family loved me having a family. Yeah. We have uh, not. <laughs> I work, work. The kids yeah. are big on being born. Um, work. I mean, here's here's the thing. I when I was a young producer, I had a reporter I worked with uh, a lot called named Shelly Smith. She's a very accomplished uh, reporter for ESPN. She had a young daughter, and I learned so much watching her and people ask me all the time as they're starting their family like how do you do it like how does it work right nobody ever asked the dads how do you balance bob having a family and your career i'm waiting for that question 
And I'm going to ask that question of somebody at some point. How do you balance being a dad and a professional? Um, because, you know, we get it all the time. And what I learned from Shelly was like, you just do. And my job at the time that I had Luke, my firstborn, who just left for college on Friday, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not. You don't I'm, have any tissues. To I'm not. Her. I'm so not okay. <laughs> no, but um, when I, I don't really need tissues. We know that, right? No, oh, no, it's no, a I'm dog. just making sure my dog okay. down there. Uh, my job at the time was breaking news, right? So, like, for example, um, when Kobe Bryant got into trouble in Colorado, I got a call in the morning, and I lived in San Francisco at the time, and I was San Francisco bureau producer at that point because I did it again, the L.A. thing. When my husband got a job in San Francisco, I said, hey, I need to be LA, San Francisco bureau producer. And he said, we already have one. I was like, I know. We've had this conversation before. <laughs> and they made me San Francisco bureau producer. Um, and my boss said, get in the car, call me. I, you know, you go to the airport. And so I was in there and he was like, look, it, Kobe Bryant's been accused of something. You need to go. And I spent 17 months in Vail at that point. So can't do that once you have kids and we moved that way uh for my husband's job and I said to my boss you know we should have a bureau in Denver and he's like whatever just <laughs> same boss he's like whatever go fine um and at that point when I had Luke I I needed to change that because I couldn't be on call and that is actually when I started doing full-time play-by-play and left producing altogether because producing br breaking news was awesome and very Forrest Gumpish, like whatever the issue was, but really hard to plan and really hard on my husband. So games, I'm going to be on these dates. He could plan his stuff and we worked it out. I mean, I know it's still demanding though, being a sports broadcaster and all the sports and events that you do. Yeah. How do you have balance in your life or what is like, I don't do a very good job <sighs> of the balance thing. I don't know. Uh, what does me time then look for you? This is it. How, yes, on a how are we doing? Great. <laughs> I'm having a great time. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. A couple things. One, I get me time on the road, especially when I'm working with Holly McPeak or Nicole Branagh. That's like a boondoggle. In fact, we have a text chain called boondoggle or bust. Whenever we get an assignment together, we're like, okay, Holly, where are we eating? She figures out the food of where we're going. What are we doing for our workout? Okay. And I'll be in charge of like the coach stuff. And so I get a lot there. Um, because I want to be with my kids when I'm home. And then this summer I was traveling around the world, literally for volleyball world, calling uh, volleyball nations league, professional volleyball national teams. And when they offered me the job and they said, okay, what countries do you want to go to? And here it is. And I said, I'll go to these things. I can take five weeks of work. Can I bring my daughter? She's 11. And they said, absolutely. Wow. So cool. Oh it was God. really cool. I love them. Two men, right, who I was on a Zoom call with, and uh, they they said, absolutely. And the CEO, Finn Taylor, he's amazing, and said, yeah, bring my son sometimes. And I said, great. Can she be fully credentialed? Because I don't want her in Brazil, like, not being able to be with me. And so they credentialed her fully. She came with me. Turkey was amazing. I should have brought her to Turkey. But um she, something about school, they have to go to school until they're 13. Um, so uh, she came to Brazil and the Netherlands with me and it was fantastic. And it was so important for her to see, we did one week of women, one week of men. And so she got to see That's women amazing. handling their lives like a boss. And then Anaheim was another week and my 18 year old son and his friends came down for that. And so I, I brought my kids to work a lot 
uh, over the years. And for my oldest son, who's now going to be playing volleyball in college, it paid off. He's been, been coming with me since he was three. He has seen a lot of volleyball and um, apparently some of it soaked in. Do you think you'll call one of his matches this coming season? Not this coming season because I don't know if Loyola Chicago is on TV. I also don't know if I want to. Huh? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that's when the opinions come out. Yeah. Right. right. So, and, and there's two different ways you could go, right? With that, you could be like, oh, my son, he's so wonderful, blah, 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 which is probably not the way I would go. I would be like, beat on the right side, like we talked about <laughs> since he was 14. But what do I know? Bend your knees, buddy. Okay, next <laughs> so it's probably best if I'm just mom at that point. But Would your daughter get into broadcasting, maybe? It's funny you say that. She's the one who might. Okay. Yeah, she's got, she's a little mini me. So that's, well, yeah, it could be good, but it also, I know who I am. So she's got really strong opinions. And we, her name is Lena. We call her last word Lena because she always has to have the last word. That's me. So it, she might. It's so cool that um, these companies that you've worked for just are so willing and happy to provide that for you to to get your kids on board and come and come along and follow Incredible. along. Yeah, I really didn't expect it, yeah. um, especially for this international one. And they were immediate, and they were calling me and saying, "How's everything going with your daughter? Are you totally taken That's care so of?" So good. It was amazing yeah yeah it was amazing and the fact that at the start they were like which events do you want to go which yeah do you want to go cool. to yeah yeah that was cool i mean it, they they wanted me i, I picked something and they're like well we want you to be with the usa team i'm like oh i get it you know so i i went there and I, i'll point out to that, that they do that for the male colleagues as well so again bob how do you balance work and, and your career the, you know the ceo brought his son to one of the weeks uh as well so it isn't just one way gender or not it's so good for the kids yeah to be with one or the other parent in my opinion that's great i want to learn a little bit more about the workshops that you um that you do and how people if they're interested can look into it or um what the workshops entail sure yeah sure thanks for asking yeah um because i just announced anyone starting august 16th what it is it's three sessions virtually and the big thing when you get a job, right, or to get a job, you need to know how to prepare. And I've I've had so many athletes as partners who haven't prepared and they don't last long, right? They come, they think I know the game, I'm good. Here's a roster. It's not the way. So the first thing, the first session, it's an hour and a half virtually, we go over preparation, big time, where to find the things that you need, who to call before you ever get on with a coach, and then the template that you use to prepare your notes. I give you as part of the tuition templates to use that you can use throughout your career. I have a couple of colleagues of mine who have sent theirs as well, uh, giving me permission to share so you can experiment and find what you want to do in terms of templates. We talk about the coach call, what you want to ask, how you want to, to ask it, everything you need to know. There's a certain color coding system I use, and uh, I share that and encourage people. And after that session, I ask you, make your board, make a board and send it to me and I will go over it and we'll go back and forth to, to make sure you really know how to do it. And then a week or two later, we'll do the second session. I think for the one, yeah, I think it's August 16th and 30th this time. And the second session is I'm play by play, your sideline, your analyst, how do these roles go together so that you can dance? 
here's the top two mistakes that analysts pay um, most often make and how to get around them. Here's the top complaint about play-by-plays. Here's how sideline can add value. Here's what you shouldn't do. And then I asked my friends who were executives at networks, CBS, TBS, uh, Big Ten, and ESPN, what are you looking for when you hire somebody? And they sent me these long, I mean, I expected like a couple of things, literally like full page, single spaced about the things that they want and not. So I share that with the students as well. And then the third session is a one-on-one. So that can be anything you want. Sometimes people will send me tape of things they've done before. I take notes on it beforehand. We get on for half hour, go through that. A lot of people, almost everybody wants some career planning. Um, in that, and I've had so many students get jobs. I'm so excited. It's like having another kid when they call and they're like, that's so cool. I got a job, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I got a call from one's boss, which was really fun because I've never worked for that person. And he called and he's like, his boards are amazing. And he said, and I was like, well, thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. He's killing it. So can people find that on your website? Yeah, that, they okay. can do it two different ways. They can always message me yeah. on Instagram, uh, Anne Marie Anderson TV. They can email me at ama dot ama at annemarieanderson.com or on my website. There's oh, a button there that you can. Oh, well, anybody who's listening who's interested in this career needs to take this workshop. <laughs> you you yeah. going to do it? I think it would be fun to kind of join in on a workshop just to kind of see behind the scenes of like, what goes on it's oh. always good to just learn you know other trades but yeah we uh we had uh kelly do a play-by-play commentary for um uh, a match it was gina's match actually oh is that right <laughs> she sat she sat sideline and i was you know like because you know at the avp event you know you have the uh-huh. inside the box and um I have to send you the tape so you can give me some feedback there <laughs> we yeah. go yeah that's the way that's the way that it goes did you have a partner no it was just me and then our camera guy and i was just doing live feedback or whatever well, yeah we, we were it. thinking it'd be him? like a, a fun idea like yeah. i did it i did it for kelly's match for one and it was kind of like okay she's my best friend i'm gonna you know give her some crap and uh, <laughs> yeah we like i was like just commentating the match and then i would throw some jokes in about gina because <laughs> i can because she's, right. she's my best friend but the so. feedback was great yeah. everyone loved it yeah really engaged um i mean it wasn't like espn material no. by any means but, no, you but you're giving insight yeah. and then the fact that you use some humor is huge yeah always you know some people get there and they're so nervous and they just don't want to make a mistake and be totally perfect and it, it just makes people uncomfortable to listen to yeah yeah it was fun i enjoyed it good job good maybe i'll <laughs> do it yeah. again sometime i don't know yeah <laughs> if you want to do it as a career like i'd suggest the workshop because then we're we're teaching you all the preparation and stuff. And as you know, I call a lot of games by myself because some of the networks are going that way. Yeah. Have a lot of like beach volleyball athletes uh, expressed interest to you? Because yeah. I know the NCAAs this year, it was like the biggest one yet. Yeah. And I feel like there were some athletes that were on the sidelines for me. I think, I can't remember the girl's name. She's from Florida State. Curly hair. Um, she was... Oh, she was on she was the, the sideline side reporter. Yeah. Yes. I don't know her name okay. either. I was just curious if any like beach athletes would want to get into that. I've had a few in my classes. I'll keep everybody private, okay. but I've had some big names coming through it. Yeah. And I love them because they're, you know, hardworking when I get those athletes. Coaches are also really great as analysts. Mm-hmm. R- really great because then they're seeing things. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I see that in the NBA. I feel like there are like, for example, like Draymond when he goes on ESPN. Or um, the other guy, 
forget uh, JJ Redick. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets on, and then he went from a player to to being yeah. an analyst. He's so good at it, and now yeah. he has his own podcast and stuff. I mean, Troy Aikman in the NFL. Yeah. It's you know, there's plenty. Yeah, yeah. Now we just need more women. Now we need more women. Yeah, but that's coming too. I mean, yes. obviously my my workshops about half and half men and women. Um, I've had two of my students become my partner on a couple of broadcasts, which was also super fun. That's so fun. Super fun. Uh, Natasha Wally, who's an Olympic gold medalist for softball was, and she came in and she's like, I'm a little nervous. And I said, no, don't be. She took out her notes. I'm like, nice looking board, Tosh. That's good. Here it is. But the thing is, and I also have another couple of students who have been paired up on a broadcast. And what was great about that is that they're speaking the same language. So then they know, you know, here's what's happening. Now you're talking about how and why. Here are the words you're using to start the replay. Like I get super specific in terms of how to do it. And then when you're working with somebody else who's taken it, you know, it's it's a pretty good show. How have you dealt with like adversity when you're calling a match? Like let's say there's a technical tech malfunction or something in the crowd happens. Like what do you do in those moments? Uh, depends on what it is. When you said tech moment, I, I was thinking humor. Um, but also had a really big brawl uh, breakout recently. That's all I can tell you about that one. And, uh, you know, you ignore it because the cameras aren't going to show it. The big thing is, you know, you pay attention to what's in the box. If anything's happening outside of the screen that the viewer can see, it it doesn't happen. It so doesn't it, exist. So is it best to just, like, be silent when that's happening? If there's a brawl? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to talk about it because our cameras aren't going to show it. So I'm going to stay with whatever is on the screen. Whereas normally if I'm calling a, a game of any kind, I'm looking around the you know arena. But if there's something bad happening, then I'm going to look at the screen so I know exactly what you're seeing at home. And I'm talking about just that. Um, technical problems, you know, hello, is my mic on? Okay, well, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but here it is. Yeah, like, like that's <laughs> happened a million times. Or the prompter goes down. Um, that was back when I was doing uh, studio stuff because we don't use prompters in the sidelines. And you just try to not freeze, you know, at that moment. But I had already, because I was a producer, I had had that happen. Do you guys know who Robin Roberts is? She's the anchor for Good Morning America. Yes. And she's studly in the Amazing, yeah. So she and I worked together a lot. We went to a lot of Olympics together and we were always kind of roommates. And I was uh, producing for her at a Final Four and prompter went down. And Robin was still young, like she was just starting out in her career. And I like kicked the guy out who was doing in the teleprompter stuff. I sat in and I said to Robin, you're on your own for the A block. I'll catch you at the B's. And so she's like working through and she's a pro's pro, obviously working through the A block. And then she's on the B's here. I've got the prompter. So she's back to reading the prompter. And then she catches up to me and I'm like, you're on your own. Come back. And, you know, in the afterwards, it's funny. It's like a whole fun dance that I don't even know about. It is fun. Yeah. It's so cool. I like, I don't mind stress, right? I wouldn't have had three kids if I did. So, <laughs> and I always tell people like, you cannot distract me. You know, I got three kids. One of them's ADHD. Get got the ex-husband, people all over the place. Like you can do anything and I won't get distracted. And I like the pressure of live. Um, so I thrive in that chaos. Yeah, what, those are some interesting. What other characteristics do you think it takes to be like a really good, successful, resilient? Yeah, right. Don't give 
a vote to anybody that shouldn't have a voice. You know, on social media, it's a great lesson. People are saying stuff on social media maybe to you. Who are they? They're like sitting in the basement of their mother's house eating chips on the couch. Like, that's what they're doing. That's why they're criticizing you, you know, and they haven't even pulled the curtains open yet to see the sunshine today. So we call those people trolls. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, I mean, for me, they don't exist. I just, uh, just resilience. I, I don't mind failing. I don't mind failing. In fact, I really encourage it when I'm talking to people, you know, especially when I'm speaking, I say, you have got to put yourself in a position to fail early and often get used to failing, especially if you're going to be in television. Oh my God. Do you know how many times I've been rejected? Holy cow. It's a joke to me now. And my kids have seen that growing up and they've seen me react a couple of different ways to it. I mean, once I got on a plane, when they told me I had a job and then I didn't, I was like, oh, hell no. And I got on a plane and I flew up to that boss and face to face and said, I just want you to know who you're not hiring and this and that. And then he ended up hiring me. And I think, and, but they've also seen me go, mm, dodged a bullet there. And they've seen me go, I'm super bummed, super bummed about that one. And that's the way I feel. And I'm going to be fine. You know, all those different reactions are important. I love that mentality. I'm definitely going to use, utilize some of that moving forward. And because, you know, in our career too. Oh, yeah. Just sport, you know, that's great. Yeah. And what What's next for you? Uh, writing a book. Now, so I'm doing a lot of keynote speaking now, which is fun. I've I've always loved speaking. And then I started to get hired to speak to people about a few different things. And a lot of it is about the audacity that I was telling you, you you know, it happened so many times, as I said, in my career. And once I look back and put it all together, I kind of identified, okay, what stops people from making those decisions? What, what kept me in the marriage, as I said, from from making the decision to divorce. And it's always the same things, the same four things, fear, right? Uh, not knowing where to start, being embarrassed. My head is blanking uh, on the, oh, and money. So it's money, time, uh, fear of embarrassment and not knowing how to start. It's always those four things. And they apply to sports broadcasting. They apply to, in my case, a marriage as well. And so as I'm speaking about that more and more and more people are saying, well, wait, tell me how to do that. And so I talk to them about finding a job that you love, that you're good at, that the world needs and that you get paid for. And that sweet spot between all those things is mostly what I get hired to talk about. And that's kind of what the book will be about. How do you find that? And then how, how do you get rid of all your excuses as to why you can't do that. Because in 34 years, true story, I have never had a day I haven't wanted to go to work ever. That's great. It's yeah, a blessing. That's what everyone aspires for. Yeah. It's yeah. a blessing. Lucky. But yeah. Well, I can't wait for this book. I'm oh, I'm going to buy it. What's it called? It to you. Um, I'm not sure yet. It'll probably be something like the audacious mindset. Something like that. Sound right. Oh, sounds sounds amazing. Great. Sounds yeah. Good. Yes. All right. Oh, well. Good. Trying it out on you. Audacious. <laughs> audacious mind yeah i say it's a willingness to take bold risks yeah and you've taken a a lot and it's totally shown in your whole career yeah and that's so cool to see thanks some have worked some haven't right but you gotta fail sometimes you gotta put yourself in the position to fail like absolutely yeah that's so cool what uh what do you what advice do you have for someone who might experience imposter syndrome 
That's such a good question, right? I think my ego is out of control, right? Because <laughs> imposter syndrome is where you think you don't belong. Right. Yeah, I'm definitely like my my ego's out of control because it's beyond my ability. And I think that it's about seeing that everybody else has the same vulnerabilities that you do. As I'm obviously joking about my ego, but I'm saying like, why not me? So in terms of imposter sy syndrome, like, okay, if it's not going to be me, why not? Because I'm not good enough, especially for women. Oh, can we talk about that? Right? You have to have 100% of the qualifications to go after the job. Statistically, men, 60% of the qualifications to go after the job. Right? We all know those guys. They go into the bar and they ask out women that are way above their level. and But they ask out 10 until one woman says yes. Like that guy. It's the same thing in business. I'll go for that job and that job and that job and that job. And yet women don't apply. That's what we hear from leaders is that women don't apply for those jobs because they're 100% qualified. So apply when you're 60% qualified for the job. Don't wait till you're ready because you'll never be ready. So for somebody who feels like they don't belong, maybe stop projecting what you think other people are thinking or feeling because they probably also are figuring it out for themselves. Yeah. That's great advice. Take notes. I love, I love that. Is that yeah. going to be in the book? Uh, maybe. <laughs> should put that in. Should I yeah. put that in? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Make that a chapter. Okay. It's very moving. All right. Send yeah. me a text later. I got you. <laughs> um, and then the, uh, I guess the last question we have here is how do you take a bet on yourself or how have you taken a bet on yourself? I feel like we can answer this question for you, but no, Go well, ahead. tell me what you think first. Um, honestly, you've taken a bet on yourself from the very beginning. Uh -huh. From the moment when that gentleman passed you on, you said, no, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. I think I belong here. Mm -hmm. I'm worthy. And why not me? And you sent that letter. And yep. I think it started from that moment. Yep. I agree with you. Yeah. And I'll add one other thing. When I was maybe a year and a half in to ESPN, uh, a man that I... Uh, interned for in Colorado when I was in college, got a job at ESPN as an anchor, his dream job. So excited uh, to see him. He's like the good, there were two guys that I worked for. One was the mean one and one was a nice one. And this was a nice one. And, you know, he moved to, to be at ESPN. He had just gotten married. He's 37, a runner, super fit. And he came into the office one day and someone called for him. And he, I, I was like, oh, I'll transfer it back to your desk. It was his sixth day in the office. And shortly afterwards, somebody came running around the corner and said, does anybody know CPR? Does anybody know CPR? And I did. And my roommate at the time, Peggy Kaczynski, did. And so we ran around the corner and it was Peter. And he was on the floor and it was just something I never expected to see. And we thought, is he choking? Is he whatever? It ended up um, that Peter's heart stopped while we were there on the phone with 911. And I'll tell you guys something that kind of always gives me chills still but but basically I felt like his soul leave his body okay it was just wild in in any event he passed away and went to the hospital because at that point they were still trying to revive him and I remember his wife came in and uh, they'd been married less than a year and she had been running and your mind kind of zeroes in on things I think I was 22 years old at the time and there was like the sweat stain on the back of her shorts, her running shorts. 
because she had just moved there and been out for a run and her brand new husband died. And I remember thinking, if you can be 37 and fit and get your dream job and have it all taken away in a second, I'm not going to wait for anything ever again in my life. Like that, that was my moment. And I think that Peter's passing, which I've written about kind of extensively, um, has really been a guiding point in my life that I didn't expect. But that's where I get a lot of that. Why not me? I never say maybe later, ever, for anything, because it can all go away. We've heard it. I saw it as a really uh, young person developing, and I think I went on my first international trip later that year and have just never stopped. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know how to kill a conversation. Yeah. No. Soaking it in. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very positive uh, lesson I learned from a really awful experience. And, uh, I heard from, after I wrote about it, I heard from Peter's brother saying how much he really enjoyed what I wrote. Cause there were a few other details, you know, that I shared about, I'm telling you it was wild with the soul thing. That's a whole different oh, yeah. deal, but it was definitive and wild. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys wanted to add? No, this was great. Is Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. Thanks for making time for us, girl. Yeah, super fun. Thanks for making me sit down and stop doing all the stuff I'm doing at home, running around because I was gone for so long and uh, my family did nothing while I was gone. So like all the plants are dead and all the laundry, everybody knows how to do their laundry and stuff's broken. So I've spent the, I've been back for one week and I have just been fixing things. And I think more than anything, the kids were really happy that I came here with you today because they are all, I'm sure, sitting down right now because the rest of them, I'm like, you, up. Yeah. What is that on the wall? Get it off. And everything. Start so. throwing the soil at each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so they're getting a rest. So thanks for giving the kids a rest and for having me on. Oh, of course. We love time. Yeah, we loved having you on. Loved hearing your stories. And um, this is the Bet on Her podcast. And cut. Good job, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>